What's up, everybody? It's Power Rankings Podcast, a.k.a. The Power Rankings Show. That was an abrupt ending to our synth music. Marcus is uh, here today, so I don't have to say at Marcus underscore Mosher because I just want to get right into it. He's complaining about his lack of a tan on camera. And meanwhile, I look like a big white sock factory. So what's up? What's the matter? Nothing. I'm, the matter? I'm, just, I'm just ready for the regular season. Pre- I, I thought... Three games in the preseason was going to be the right amount. It's not. It's like too, too many. I'm ready for the regular season. What's the matter? CIA's got you pushing too many pencils. Okay, so gonna, I can't. Is, what is that, a Rambo <laughs> reference? No, it's Predator. Oh, that, but you've never seen Predator, yeah. of course. How, how, do, how, how do you watch all the Rocky movies, including Rocky Five, multiple times and not see Predator? How, yeah, just, how does that happen? Just not a big sci-fi guy, but did you watch the new Game of Thrones show oh on HBO? I didn't. I didn't. Um, Check it out. I couldn't do my normal Arnold either because my voice, is, I think it's slowly getting better, but it is still not there yet. Luckily, I replaced my Ricola with Haas. Ha, Haas. Halls. Haas. With Haas. <laughs> so I couldn't do my, not that my Arnold's ever any good, nor my Christopher Walken kind of sucks too while we're at it. But uh it is. It's preseason football, and I do have a question about that for you a little bit later in the show, but I just wanted to go over some of the things that have been going on uh, recently, Marcus. And by the way, if you missed it, he's at Marcus underscore Mosher. Before I get into it, should we pull a football card? Or do you want to wait to the end? No, let's go ahead and do it right now. That's what we've been doing right. at the top of our show, yeah. right? I'm ready. Oh, oh, this is a good one. It's a rookie card. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. This is a Terry Glenn rookie card wow. from Ohio State. Wow. And so it, it, it's a upper what, what, deck. It's upper deck. Man, I remember when upper deck came on the scene. That was the 89 baseball set. And the Ken Griffey Jr. was the hottest card in the industry. And one of the things that Upper Deck did with their football, you're showing the Terry Glenn, Ohio State, War 83, same number he wore in the pros. Uh, let's see. He, so he was with that uh, Eddie George team, right? I believe so, yeah. That would, yeah. Um, one of the things that Scores started doing in 89 is they started making rookie cards of guys that hadn't played yet. And Pro Set follows suit. And uh, then they all started doing it yet because they used to not, Tops used to not do that. And so um, Tops hadn't done that since like the 60s where they made a guy who hadn't even played in the NFL yet. I think the last guy that Tops did that for, I could be wrong on this, was Ernie Davis who played for the Browns. I could be wrong on that. Did you ever see the Ernie Davis story? Uh, I believe Clearly, so. You saw that yes. movie. Yep. I mean, yep. you've seen every football movie. You haven't seen Predator or Alien or Aliens, but By you've the way, seen my, one of my spicy takes blues. is that football movies are generally not very good. I, it's not a spicy take. It's a true take is what it is. Although yeah. I will say the football sequences in varsity blues are actually pretty well done. 
because they made those young actors like do a training camp for a couple yeah. of weeks and play, actually play and hit each other and stuff. Um, except for the part where is it not Greg Vanderbeek, Matt Vanderbeek, who's the dude that played the I yeah, don't well, want yeah, your life. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that guy. <clears throat> do, you, do you remember the scene in that movie when he's on the sideline? And the ref asked for the ball, trickles to the sideline. The ref asked for the ball back, and the ref is standing at midfield. And he picks the ball up at the bench and throws it to the ref. It's about a 50-yard throw. And when the ref catches it, he has to, like, scoot backward. Yeah, it's Never mind cheesy. that Patrick Mahomes couldn't make you do that. But Vanderbeek? I mean, yeah. Uh, back to Terry Glenn. Can I read his stats from the 95 season? I don't want okay. your life. 57 receptions for 1,316 yards with 17 touchdowns. Averaged 23.1 yards per catch. And they played 11 games back then, right? Now they play 12. 12 or 13, yep. Yeah. Um, Because I remember when Phillip Rivers came out, I think he had started the most games in college football history. I I thought something like that. He'd started like 51 uh, or something with bowl games. But um, Terry Glenn's rookie year, Marcus – I think he caught 90 balls uh, with the 96 Patriots. They went to the Super Bowl that year. Uh, now I got to look that up. I, I, I got to know. But he was amazing. Um, and I'm, you know, you and I have had this argument, but I think Terry Glenn was more uh, valuable to the Cowboys than Terrell Owens was, even mm. though Terrell Owens had slightly bigger numbers. Yeah, Terry Glenn's rookie season numbers, 90 catches for 1,132 yards and two touchdowns. Not bad. Not bad. Yeah, his 2003 season in Dallas, he played with Quincy Carter, so he had 754 yards, but he was very clutch for him. 2004, he had 400 yards in six games. He got hurt in that sixth game. He was having a great year. But 05, 06, Marcus, 1,136 yards, 1,047 yards. Mm -hmm. That's on a team that he was the third option with Owens and Jason Witten. He won a couple games for that team. Yeah, good player. I I always really liked Teddy Glad. So yeah, clearly you're such a Owens Homer, but we can have that argument for another day. We are going to talk a little bit of Cowboys uh, here in a moment, but I wanted to talk about a news item that kind of came out this uh, weekend. I don't remember what day it was, maybe Friday or Saturday. I, I, can't, I can't remember where Dana White talked about how the Raiders were going to get Tom Brady. And so this kind of comes off of the Tom Brady news returning to the Bucks which is kind of our, our top thing. Everyone was all concerned about it. I don't, I don't think they need to be. But Dana White said on a podcast that, that the Raiders were this close to getting Tom Brady. And at kind of the final moment, John Gruden, John Gruden didn't want the deal to go through. And they what they did is they retrofitted that Dana White interview, if you didn't see this, with one that Tom Brady had done on, what was the show Tom Brady? Uh, was it The Barbershop? Yes, thank you. Yep. So Tom Brady's sitting there with his hair neatly quaffed. Yeah, looking like Tom Brady with the Sean McVay white shoes on, I think. And Tom Brady was talking about how a team in 2020 offseason, in the 2020 offseason, had basically fallen out at the last second that that they were going to keep the guy that they had. And Brady said, and I quote, you're going to keep that MFR? <laughs> and people are putting together now that that MFR that Brady was referring to was none other than Derek Carr. So first question I have for you is, what is your thought 
about how legit this probably is and Brady referring to Carr in that way if it is legit. I think it's 100% legit because there was rumblings at the time back in like in 2019, 2020 that this was going to happen, right? If you remember, Derek Carr did not play particularly well in 2019 and it was time to maybe think about moving on and getting somebody else. They were in on Aaron Rodgers a little bit. Uh, there was rumblings that John Gruden wanted Kyler Murray in the 2019 draft. So yeah, I 100% buy it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I still think the Raiders probably should have done it. It would have made them more competitive. But how much more competitive? I think that's up for debate. Uh, by the way, I just turned the gain down on my microphone. So if you're driving a Honda Prelude with a system in it, and I was blowing out your speakers, I'm sorry. No, it's can't. not my fault. Okay, so this is major, major shade to Derek Carr. We've talked about Derek Carr a lot. I probably respect him a little more than you, but I know you think Derek Carr is a good player too. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, would you blame the Raiders for sticking with Derek Carr and not going for it? Given the age, other factors, money. It's hard because you're, if you got to remember to think back to like what 2019 and 2020 Las Vegas Raiders looked like, right? Because at the time they were just coming off a year where they had three first round picks in 2019. They had two first round picks in 2020. That I think, well. well, but the point is, I think John Gruden was really excited about the future with all of these young yeah. players. And if Derek Carr can continue to get better in the scheme, that they'll eventually be this juggernaut in the AFC. Now we know that they missed on almost every single one of those picks. And most of those guys are, aren't on the roster. So yeah, I think they, in hindsight, they probably do wish they would have just went out and got Tom Brady and been competitive in 2020 and 2021. So this weekend at the grocery store, Marcus and I were talking about this topic and I was shopping for Jergens or something. And Marcus was telling me to get the shea butter lotion, of course. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we kind of disagreed on this. I said, there's no way the Raiders win the Super Bowl in 2020 with Tom Brady. You had a different take. So why don't you pose, posit your theory on how yeah. this could have happened? Yeah. If the Raiders were to bring in Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski, you cannot assume that they would have made all the same moves, right? They likely mm-hmm. would have drafted different. They would have signed guys different. They probably would have brought in different coaching staff, right? My guess. Or use the draft as capital. That's what I would have guessed happened, right? They probably don't make two first-round picks in 2020. They probably trade the number 12 pick for either an offensive lineman, a receiver, something like that to get Tom Brady because I just don't think – or sorry, to help Tom Brady because Mm -hmm. I don't think Brady was at the stage in his career where he wanted to be around a bunch of young guys. I think he wanted to be on a team that could compete right away. So I don't think you see them draft Henry Ruggs and Damon Arnett and Brian Edwards and some of those guys. I think they go out and get some veterans that could help right now. Before I destroy Marcus's point, I want to bolster it. Um, I didn't really like the idea of getting a DeAndre Hopkins or whatever. I actually liked, I thought maybe um, more apropos would have been the Raiders going after a, a quality lineman that they could have gotten. And we just saw Dwayne Brown get signed. <clears throat> Dwayne Brown's maybe not the perfect example, but somebody like a Trent Williams who's out there who you can maybe make a deal for, or if they're a free agent, you get a guy of that caliber and you see what it did for the 49ers. 
I know people talk about the Raiders, or not the Raiders, Tom Brady's kryptonite being pressure up the middle. I actually think the Raiders would have been okay there. I think tackle is really where you would have wanted the help on that team. Am I wrong? But see, it depends, right? Because Colt Miller was there and he was improving. I don't know if he was the same then as he is now, but they also had Trent Brown, who Tom Brady won a Super Bowl with in New England. Yeah. Trent Brown kind of checked out after they didn't get Tom Brady and kind of pouted that he was there. And then he went back to New England and he's actually playing well. So that's what we don't know is like, how does a guy like Trent Brown react to Tom Brady coming to Las Vegas? Because my guess is he doesn't show up to camp 400 pounds and not ready to play. Would you agree, especially when it comes to, I would say secondary and the receivers that when guys stay on a team they've had a lot of success with, they're generally better than when they yes. change addresses. You know, I said both sides because Namdi Asamoah, I think, is a really great example since we're talking about the Raiders. Yes. This is my problem. Tampa's receivers in-house, phenomenal. Godwin, Evans, as good a duo as you're going to find. Also a pretty smart little player, an effective little player in Cameron Braid at tight end. Okay. I'm talking about pre-Rob Gronkowski. Sure. The Raiders wideout group just doesn't match up with that for 2020 unless they go out and acquire someone as you're speaking. But even then, there's no guarantee that a, a DeAndre Hopkins or whoever could just come right in and play well. I'm not saying they wouldn't. I'm not saying he wouldn't. DeAndre Hopkins has done fine in Arizona. But Waller, Gronk, Hunter Renfro and like Brian Edwards to me is still Nelson, not the same. They did have Nelson Aguilar, who had a nice season that year with the Raiders. But it's your point remains, right? The receiving core for Tampa Bay was just pr more proven and they were better. But it's not like the Raiders were bad in that area either. Running game, I would give the Raiders the advantage. Now, you could make the argument, yeah, but the Bucks had Leonard Fournette on that 2020 team. But maybe they don't get Leonard Fournette. If right. Tom Brady's with the Raiders. Because so. remember, Fournette was somebody who got released during cutdowns of 2020 because the Jags just didn't want him anymore. Right, right. And, you, you know, players are going to try to go to teams and maneuver so they can go to teams where they can win and make money. And Leonard Fournette made the right decision. By the way, a uh, huge part of them winning that Super Bowl, I should add. Um, Antonio Brown always gets the credit. I feel like Leonard Fournette does not. <clears throat> Leonard uh, Antonio Brown's a good one to bring up. He succeeded in Tampa, but Marcus, is that a guarantee that he succeeds in Las Vegas? I don't think so because of the Gruden dynamic. Gruden dynamic. That and the Mike Mayock dynamic as well. It seems like Mike Mayock and, and Antonio Brown clashed more than Gruden and Brown did. It seemed like That's fair. Gruden, Gruden was more of the advocate for Antonio Brown than anybody else in the organization. At first. Yeah. At first. Um, so these things are all unknowns. What is not an unknown to me, so we can kind of move on from this, Defensive front seven. There is no comparison between the Raiders and the Bucks front seven 2020. The Bucks front seven was a huge factor in them winning the Super Bowl. Remember the NFC Championship game uh, against Green Bay, Tom Brady threw like three interceptions. And it was the defense that kept them hanging around that stifled Green Bay in the red zone. Remember the whole debacle about Aaron Rodgers being able to go for it? And then on Jeopardy, that contestant, you know, made fun of, uh, you know, you know how that whole yep. thing played out. Sure. Why didn't anybody bother to say, hey, Tampa Bay did its job in the red zone? Their defense played really well. Their secondary, which was kind of their weak spot, played really well. Um, 
I just think that Tampa Bay was too strong there as opposed to the Raiders. You're not wrong, but I would say who knows who Tampa, who the Raiders bring in if Brady goes to Las Vegas, right? Because the Raiders spent a ton of money that offseason on guys in their front seven between Corey Littleton, Nick Kikowski, Malik Collins, Carl Nassib. Maybe instead of getting a bunch of kind of average to below average players, maybe mm-hmm. you do convince somebody like a Jason Pierre-Paul to come on over and help. Or maybe a Ndamukong mm-hmm. Sue comes in place for you instead. That's the part that we have a hard time knowing for sure. Hey, if I could put you know Chandler Jones and, and uh, this year's Max Crosby in with that group, be a little different story. Sure. I just I think that Raiders team with Brady probably would have lost in the divisional round the way Tampa did this year. I don't think they win the sure. Super Bowl. But I'm with you. It sure does sound legit. And I, you know, remember when we were talking about quarterback salaries, and I told you, I go, man, these guys' competition with one another is more important than whether mm-hmm. they make 230 million or 280 million. It's all the money is all about what's the guy down the street making. Versus what I'm making. And am I being disrespected? And you saw that from Brady when he's referring to Derek Carr. Because we know Derek Carr is not some cruddy player. Allegedly referring to Derek Carr. I'm telling you, man, it's it's the competition. So that just takes it back to our last podcast about does, does Sean Watson care about whether he makes $230 million or $250 I, okay. all I could All I could think of is when you said $40 million is uh, Rocky Balboa speech and Rocky Four. But that's off topic. Never mind. I think it was twenty million. <laughs> oh, whatever. Tonight in here. <laughs> but I guess that's better than twenty million. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Cowboys want to get to a couple other teams here. I told you last week, penalties are part of culture. You told me, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. So then I brought up to you that the Cowboys had eight more penalties this weekend. And you said, ah, it's only eight penalties. It's an improvement, man. I don't know what you want more from Mike McCarthy. He's doing his job. What you want to see in the preseason is steady improvement, right? You're not going to be perfect. So as long as you can cut down your penalties in half every game, you're going to be just fine. Let's, let's be honest here. Marcus thinks the NFL has a serious bias when it comes to officiating against the Cowboys. And you think that because Mike McCarthy did not get as penalized as much in Green Bay, that he's genuinely shocked at how all these calls are now going against him because they have stars on their helm. I mean, that's not exactly the way I feel, but it's pretty close. <laughs> so what do you say? I don't think, think we'd have to play three teams out I, there, or whatever he says. I think Mike McCarthy is doing everything he needs to do to make sure that this team is uh, – more disciplined, right? I think yeah, I you know, co- yeah. coaches change, people change, Elliot. Everybody can change. <laughs> what? I don't know why I make Mike McCarthy sound like Mr. Anderson from Beavis <laughs> and Butthead, I, but I do every time. Don't see how many times I can get Rocky Four speech in here during the podcast. You remember the T-shirt that Stuart Beavis and Butthead's friend used to wear? So I've never seen an episode of Beavis. Oh my gosh. I'm not an eighties kid, man. You watched 13 going on 30, like eight times with director's commentary, but you won't. It's unbelievable. Okay. All right. Let's go to the commanders here real quick. Stay in the Cowboys division. So, you know, 
Is it time to be concerned, like really concerned here? Chase Young's not going to be available early in the year. Now Antonio Gibson looks like he's going to be relegated to, <laughs> if not splitting major time, to number two status because, frankly, he's put the ball on the carpet. Um, he hasn't been consistent. Mm -hmm. I know he's a convert. He was not originally a running back by trade. Uh, what do you make of the commanders, and could they potentially finish last in the division? No, they're not going to finish last because the Giants are still a long ways from them. But, I mean, I don't know. I don't feel like your opinions on Washington should have changed at all from May or June, right? Like, this is a, it's a team that has some injuries on defense. They have a not great quarterback. The offensive line's pretty good. They have some depth at running back. But, like, this is just a very average middling team. I don't think anything that's happened so far should to change or upset you uh, upset you about them. So if I said seven and 10, what do you say to that? I feel like it's going to be within a win of that either way. Okay. Okay. Uh, the next team up is another team that we don't think is necessarily going to be one of the elite. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the pod, the Tennessee Titans. And I mean, Marcus, you can't, you know, everyone makes a big deal about how John Gruden, I say everyone, uh, the lady at the supermarket yesterday didn't make a big deal about this, but people that follow this sport closely, uh, so much has been made of Mike Mayock and John Gruden missing at the top of the draft. Mm -hmm. But Tennessee is in danger now of three years in a row getting nothing out of their first round picks. Um, Traylon Burks is there's a lot of negative publicity coming out of camp that he's just not there yet. They got nothing out of their first round pick last year, three games. From Caleb Farley. And then we've talked about uh, the lineman before Isaiah Wilson, who was drafted in 2020, and he was already gone after one year. You very rarely see a first round draft pick gone after one year mm -hmm. in the league. Mm -hmm. Every team will take a second, most of the time, a third year on the guy. Um, am I overplaying this? I mean, this, how can Mike Vrabel's team compete? if they're getting nothing out of their top talent? No, it's a fair question, right? Because obviously Wilson's been gone now for multiple years. Caleb Farley uh, missed most of last year because of a back and a knee injury. I think he tore his ACL. And he was playing on punt return. And like he was being a gunner uh, when I watched their preseason game this weekend. Like it's pretty clear that he's not going to be a starter right away. Maybe they'll work him in. As for Traylon Burks, that's one that I'm not panicking on yet. Just because remember, okay. at this time last year, there was major concerns about Jamar Chase and being able to catch the ball. Remember, he dropped like three passes in the first preseason game. He was complaining about the, the size difference of the football. And Bengals fans were freaking out. If you remember the year before that, Justin Jefferson wasn't even working with the first team at all. He had some guys. K.J. Osborne was working ahead of him. And he didn't start the first three weeks of the season and it didn't matter. So I'm just, I'm not panicking on Traylon Burks yet. But yeah, the Titans' recent draft history has not been great. You just can't stay competitive when you consistently don't get anything from your top pick, or it's very, very difficult. Now, there are some teams who literally built their teams by trading away their top picks. That's different because you're still getting some equity there. I want to be fair to Farley. Those are tough injuries to come back on mm -hmm. or come back from. But if the team thought he wasn't ready, putting him as a gunner on the punt team isn't exactly taking it easy on the guy. So, no, but if you're but if you're not ready to play in base defense, you got to find a way to be active on game day, right? Sure, sure. And hopefully he works out. Obviously, he deserves a chance. I'm not saying the guy's a bust. I'm just saying 
if, if you can't Burks count doesn't, on any of those guys, like you, you, you're right. not counting on any of your first round picks from the last three years to help you, which is right. Concern. And, and we already are a little bit suspect of Tennessee's chances this year. I, I think it can be a nine and eight team, but maybe if, the, what if all three of those first round picks had panned out? You know, you're talking oh, about a totally different situation. They're the prohibitive favorite in that division, right? By oh, a lot. right. I mean, especially especially with Isaiah Wilson, because they could use the help on the offensive line. Yes. Uh, let's go to the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, Matt Stafford has been in the news uh, for the same reason. It's it's just this elbow thing, except the elbow thing isn't just, it's not just a thing. It's the kind of squirrely injury that could be there all year long. And I think this is a major concern. Um, I know you think a lot of Sean McVay. And he's a really good coach and they've got good personnel, other words, but if they have to go to Wofford, I know he, I know he won a playoff game a couple of years ago. Do you think they can win with him consistently? No, but I, I'm also not that concerned about Matt Stafford. It seems like it's a pain tolerance thing. It's not something that's going to get worse or that he could pull or rip or anything like that. Right. Because if there was any kind of concern, they're not letting Matt Stafford do meaningless seven on seven drills in practice and all that kind of stuff. Like they're just not having him rip the football out there. So it could be something that bothers him. And I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him practice like on Wednesdays and maybe even Thursdays throughout the season. But I, I don't get the feeling that they're worried about him missing big chunks of the season. You know, I remember when I was young, the Bengals went to the Super Bowl. They played the 49ers, and uh, Boomer Siasen was the MVP of the league. They ran the no huddle, which Buffalo ended up getting all the credit for uh, with Jim Kelly, but actually the Bengals and Sam Weish introduced that to the league, and uh, at least in a widespread fashion. And the next year, Boomer Siasen had sore arm in camp, and it was just this thing that lingered and lingered and lingered, and the Bengals ended up going 8-8. Eight and eight. And this was the reigning MVP of the league. And Boomer Siasen was ph phenomenal in 1988. And so just anytime I hear these kinds of injuries where they're just lingering and the guys are having to play through pain, when you have to play through pain, think about it. You're out doing yard work and your big toe really hurts. It adjusts everything you do, mm -hmm. right? So I, I just have to wonder how well Matt Stafford's mechanics are going to hold up. And we know how tight the windows are in the NFL. And Marcus, in this league, I'm not going to do it. Okay. We'll say, I want to go to quickly. Yeah. He's messed up for one of the toughest quarterbacks in the league. So if it is just the pain management thing, I think he'll be okay. Even though you think Dak Prescott's better. Okay. So let's talk about the giants. But first I want to ask you, since you've never seen any movies of quality pre 1990, I assume you never saw Saturday night fever. That's a dancing movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen clips of it. You know, a BG song outside of staying alive. Uh, no, I'm not 85 years old. Oh boy. All right. I was just wondering. Okay. Uh, Saquon Barkley this week. Um, I don't know if you saw his press conference where he answered a question about his dancing mm -hmm. and it goes to a conversation that you and I have had a lot. I just wanted to touch on this, that he's talked about the criticism he's gotten from fans and people saying that he's doing too much dancing mm -hmm. and what he was saying is I, I loved what his answer was, is I'm not just going to run up the back of my offensive lineman's back. And this is what I've told you from all the keyboard warriors on Twitter. Why doesn't the guy just hit the hole? One cut and go, man. 
That's not the way you play running back. I know that became a real popular mantra, running back by committee, just throw fresh legs in there, make one cut and hit the hole. Sometimes the hole develops a little bit later. And patience is still a major virtue among running backs. So I was glad that Saquon kind of stood up for himself a little bit. And if you, I'm, you know me, I'm not a big college football guy, but his Penn State tape was phenomenal. And yes. it was not him taking the ball and immediately accelerating through the hole. That's not what it was at all. It was him making lateral moves, jump cuts, being patient. I know you're a big running back by committee guy and guys that can hit the hole, but how do you perceive this? How do you look at it? It just depends on what you want in a running back, right? Because back in that 2018 draft, I actually liked Nick Chubb a little bit more because he just didn't have very many runs where he lost yards. Now he didn't have mm -hmm. the same number of 40 and 50 yard runs as Saquon Barkley, but the the chance of him getting a negative run was so small. I just have concerns about Barkley now that we're what, going into year five of his NFL career. He's had multiple lower leg injuries. Like if you're going to do that dancing style of running, you better still have the athleticism to outrun guys when you get in the open field. Because if you're not going to be a grinder, you're not going to, you know, make guys miss between the tackles and you're not going to, you know, carry defenders an extra yard or two. He could actually be actively hurting their offense. And I know that's something that the Giants fans don't want to hear, but it's, it's very possible. Well, to take this just a little bit further for a moment, you know, when I worked at the NFL and what I've noticed a lot on Twitter is people, just about everyone I know, thinks that Barry Sanders was better than Emmitt Smith. I, I don't have a problem with that, personally. Uh, I watched both of their primes. I watched them play against each other. Uh, I also watched them in the postseason. And the same people that love this one cut and go and, and love the running back by committee and they want to see explosive running backs hit the hole are the same people that say that Barry Sanders was one of the greatest running backs ever. Barry Sanders has more negative runs that just about anybody. Barry Sanders truly did dance all yeah. the time. Yeah. And he was super effective. Emmett Smith was a very patient, but see the hole, hit the hole type of guy. Um, I, I just find that a little bit of speaking out of both sides of your mouth. Oh, I Not do it all the mouth, time. Uh, don't worry yeah. about it. It's a fine. I didn't mean you personally. Sorry. No, it's just the the running game has changed, right? In the NFL, where it's so much about running exactly where things are blocked. Not too much creativity, but if you have the athleticism and stuff, once you get to the second level to make, you know, a five-yard run, a 45-yard run, that's what we're looking for. Well, either way, I was glad that uh, Saquon Barkley kind of stood up for himself. I'm, I'm really rooting for the guy, to be honest. I, I like, I mean, I, he was a special player, man. If you watched yeah. the Giants a few years ago. 2018, he was, was incredible. He was incredible. Phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. And, and I'd hate to see his career kind of go down the tubes. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I, he's definitely one of the guys in the NFL that I am rooting for this year. There's no question about it. Of course, it sure would help if he got help from his quarterback. Uh, mm. Just a general NFL thought here. You've already kind of touched on it. Uh, preseason's awful. Uh, it is absolutely awful. I, I'm shocked people go to the games and pay the prices they do to to see it. You know, people thought preseason football was pretty bad in the '90s or the 2000s when. Starters were playing. You remember the third preseason game was always the game that you knew the starters were going to play like a half. Sometimes even Sometimes in the even, third quarter, right? You bet. You yeah. bet. What can we possibly, other than if you're a draft Nick like you are, 
Now I am using you personally. Yeah, that's fine. If you're not a major draft, Nick, like you are, what can somebody, like if you're not a history buff, you don't really care that much about the Hall of Fame, you can still kind of enjoy the ceremony and hear the stories and, and that kind of thing. Especially if you're a fan of a team yeah. that one of the guys is being enshrined from. But if you're not a draft guy at all, you don't care about prospects, you're more of the I'll cheer when I see the final roster kind of person. What can you possibly enjoy about preseason football? And we're assuming that you're like not watching the games to check out your fantasy players or you're yeah. not a degenerate gambler. Some of them aren't even playing. Right. That's the thing. Some of your fantasy players, you're not getting any info on. Yeah, I mean, or you're not gambling on NFL games in the preseason like somebody uh, here on the podcast. Uh, yeah, I mean, what you're just looking for are what teams have a lot of depth at certain positions, right? Because that's that's what I like to see because I want to know like, hey, if my team has an injury at wide receiver, who are the three or four teams that have just a bunch of guys that could be out there to trade for? Or, hey, which team has a backup quarterback that might be able to turn into a starter someday? That's basically all that you should be watching preseason for. That there was if you cut down penalties, but. Yeah, yeah, right. There was a time in the NFL when if a team went 4-0 and or 5-0, and if they played in the Hall of Fame game in the preseason, or if you go back to the 70s, even when they did play five preseason games, you could get excited as a fan because even though you knew the rookies were playing a lot and undrafted free agents were trying to catch on to, you know, to audition for other teams, try to make the practice squad, what have you, there was still enough of the core of your team playing that you could get excited and say, hey, we went 4-0 in the preseason. Maybe we go at least 8-8 eight eight this year. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can get anything from a preseason record at all. Zero. No, nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Uh, like not even 1%. Nope. But uh, I, I don't know what to do about the preseason. But then again, I haven't known what to do about the Pro Bowl for whatever, you know, however long. So maybe they could combine the two. Oh, somehow. that'd be fun. <laughs> Have the the preseason pre Pro Bowl, like the, just the all stars of preseason playing the Pro Bowl. Oh boy. <laughs> all right. So that's, that's all I have for today. As always, I'm going to give you the final thought before we get out of here. Yeah. Going to a state fair again tomorrow. I know that you, you're so interested in this, but I just, after the last couple fairs I've been to, just a, a, a word, word of the wise, get, just make it simple, right? If you're going to get French fries, don't load it up with chili and lettuce and all that other stuff and make it garbage fries. Just go with the straight cheese fries. If you want to throw some onions in there for a little bit more flavor, do that. But don't overcomplicate things. You want my best French fry story that I have? Sure. So I had a neighbor who was uh, Jewish and he was having a hard time meeting a, a, a girl. And he asked me, uh, he said, hey man, there's a, there's like a mixer that they have at the synagogue down the street. Will you go with me? And I said, sure, but you know, I'm, I'm not Jewish. And he goes, ah, oh, it's no one's going to care, you know? So stupid me, I wore like boots and jeans and mm -hmm. I, you know, I, anyway, I show up and I'm being a wingman, right. So that he can kind of work the crowd. And I, you know, I'd never even been in a synagogue in my life. And so he said, Hey, but listen, I know it's going to be kind of a rough go for you. He goes, but we'll have food there, you know? And so I was like, great, I'll get a free meal. So you know what they had? They had this big giant serving dish. Like you'd see a giant salad in mm -hmm. with French fries, just all piled on top of each well, other. Well, what kind of fries? This is important. The fat ones, the one that, well, the, the ones that fries. are not, 
I guess. Yeah. They, yeah. Yeah. You know, like three times the size of a McDonald's fry, but not like the fat, like we cut potatoes and made them look like those fries. Are, those are the wedges, right? This, you're, yeah. you're talking about steak fries. I got you. Yeah, steak I'm fries. A, I know my French fries, so we're good. And next to the big bowl, they had a little bowl. And mm-hmm. the little bowl had this, this yellow stuff poured in it, looked like porridge. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Mm-hmm. And so I grabbed a fry and they were stone cold. And they gave us a big giant bowl. It's like they took three things of French's mustard and emptied out the entire contents of the mustard mm-hmm. into the bowl. So I sat there and ate cold fries with mustard while my neighbor like tried to work it. So finally, this girl did walk up to me and she goes, what is your name? And I told her my name and she looked at me. She goes, uh-huh. She goes, there's no way in hell you're Jewish. And that was, uh, that was, <laughs> that was the end of my being a wingman. <laughs> I, was, I was done. Here you go. Yeah, I mean, okay. That was so a long walk for not no, a very good. No, it's, not, it's good. Just, but back to the, the important part: the get the nice thick fries, a little bit of cheese, put a little bit of salt on there, and a little bit of onions goes a long way. So, we did get him a profile on J Date though, and uh, you know, so is that like the, farmers only for Jewish people? Do they really have farmers only? Is this a myth? I've I've went to multiple weddings where the people met on farmersonly.com. Wow. It's true. You know, the interesting thing with him, this is kind of a nice payoff. He couldn't meet anyone on J Date. He was really frustrated. I went over there one night and he was he said, you know, I'm just not having any luck on it. And I said, you know what? Let's uh let's just, you know, broaden the pool, get you out on some more dates. So I created a match.com profile for him. I picked his pictures out, I made him an apple teeny so he would relax. I typed his profile out and you know what? He met a girl on match who converted to Judaism for him. There you and go. Now they, now they have two kids. And uh, how about that? Shout out to match.com. Right. If you want to sponsor the podcast, let us know. <laughs> Otherwise farmers only.com is where we're going. <laughs> I like farmers only. I, I really, we could take them all match J date yeah. farmers only, you know? So anyway, uh, I better that, that was your final <laughs> thought. That was your yeah, final just, thought is I'm make really, sure you don't load up. I'm just really excited about that because I made the mistake last time of getting the chili and the sour cream all on. It just it, it ruined the the whole fry experience. So I think Jade Eight's kind of expensive though, <laughs> so they could probably give us more sponsorship money. Cordy, can you I play know the that, music, please? I don't know that Farmers <laughs> Only is like charging the same kind of bills that Jade Eight is. Match is, I think, a little bit premium too, bro. Do, do, All right, we, do, do, do. please, Courtney, <laughs> turn on the music. We'll see you guys. We'll talk to you guys on uh, Thursday.